0: Com, I work the number four him.com. And now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for, hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five. This is the I work for him podcast.
1: Hey, welcome to I work for him today as we broadcast you all over Tampa Bay and all over the first coast and across the nation on I Radio, and of course streaming six times a day on I work for him.com. That's I work the number four him. Dot com. Hey, Martha, tell people how they can connect with us on the
2: phone. So on our phone, Jim, we have an I Work For Him listener line, and we would love to hear from you, our listeners. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you, and it is so fun to hear stories, Jim. People call in. They have up to a minute to leave just a brief um, message for us, and it, our phone number for that is 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. And I will tell you, just this week, I had somebody leave a message that um, they left. They were in job transition, and that's the only reason they were in their car listening to the show, and they were very much encouraged during their time of transition because of the conversation we were having that particular day. And we love hearing things like that.
1: 866-713-9675. Just remember, your workplace, it's your mission field. And in that mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. That job that you hold, the people that you work with, none of that is by chance. The people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance. All right, so here's the deal. What's going on in Austin, Texas, this is going on all around the world. Once a month, we partner with Tony Dale and his team at Sidera Health and the Caris Group in order to highlight how God is working in the marketplace in Austin, and to give you a feel on how God can use you in your marketplace, your workplace. If you're a business owner or you run an organization and you're frustrated with the high cost of healthcare, please check out Sidera healthcare online. They can solve a lot of problems that you have just, you can't even imagine the solutions they can bring. Sedera.com, That's Sidera.com. Sedera is revolutionizing the way business looks at healthcare. Welcome to I work Tony Dale.
3: Thank you so much, Jim. Always such a pleasure to be with you. It
1: is so much fun, my friend. It's great to hear your voice. So excited. You've got a new guest for us today, an Austin businessman who's going to share his story. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him?
3: Uh, I'd love to do that. Uh, Pete Hayes, uh, who's uh, here on on the call with us, uh, is just an absolute delight. Uh, I think I first met Pete uh, through C12, a, a, a national Christian CEO organization. Uh, And Pete helps lead a group called Chief Outsiders, Uh, and they just have a unique place in the marketplace. Uh, They've certainly been able to help my companies, uh, and I count it a real privilege to be able to introduce Pete uh, and to have him be a blessing on this show.
1: Pete Hayes, welcome to iWork for Him.
4: You guys are blowing my mind. What a great program. (laughs) 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 So well, happy to be here.
1: Well, you know, if it really blows your mind at the end, you could figure out a way. You can work with Tony to figure out how we can get on the air in Austin because I know there's a radio station right there in Austin. We can get on the air every day. We got lots of listeners in Austin already. All right, Pete. We always ask this question of every new person on our show. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus?
4: Well, I guess the short answer is I accepted his invitation, but it, it took a little while. Uh, like, 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 so so many others i guess mm. maybe 40 years to fully surrender <laughs> and uh another years to I, i'd say fully attached uh to the vine um but um you know i felt pursued uh since i was young and uh i don't know it's the last 22 years have just been awesome
1: mm, i love that 40 years to surrender yeah some people fight 100 so forty's not so bad <laughs> <laughs> you know when you look when you look at it, but if, seriously, I mean, how many of us have done that? We I mean, we 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 know that we need to do it, but boy, the surrender part—you you use the right word—I love that.
2: Hmm. So so Pete um, Tony was mentioning that you are a part of. I don't believe I don't know if you're the founder of Chief Outsiders. Is that correct?
4: Actually, I'm one of two principals running. Okay.
2: It. Yeah. So tell us what Chief Outsiders is.
4: Well, it's, um, it's basically a management consulting practice, but what makes it very distinctive is we provide fractional chief marketing officers, fractional CMOs mm. to mid-sized companies. And uh, uh, that, in a nutshell, that's, that's what it is. We've, we've been in business now nine years and have worked with 650 different companies. And so we're learning a lot about the mid-market, which tends to need our help. Have you been
1: doing you know, the chief marketing officer role yourself for quite a while?
4: Yeah, you know what you find—the uh, CMO role in large companies is uh, uh, is a tough role. It's the it, it's it takes a lot of heat, and it's the most uh, there's the most turnover in that in the C-suite in large companies. So, you know, you get to be about fifty years old, and you're kind of beat up, uh, and uh, that's kind of how the company was founded, uh, realizing that you could take all this experience you got in larger companies and help smaller companies that. Typically, don't even need a full-time VP of marketing. Certainly not a CMO. You can drop into a mid-sized company as a part-time member of the management team, and you can make some big things happen. And so, it's a lot of fun for our people. Mm. They they come to our firm to have the you know have the most impact of their careers, have the most fun, uh, make the biggest difference.
2: So, tell me about the name Chief Outsiders. Where did that come from? I'm curious.
4: Well. It, I don't know how clever it is. I wasn't part of the, the, the name process, but uh, the, the whole idea is to, to outsource your your marketing leadership, mm-hmm. which is a little scary for some companies. But um, you know, when you can bring in someone that can bring that outside perspective into, and typically, typically a very operationally oriented uh, company is is you know seventy percent of the companies out there are just very operationally oriented. They're not very market facing. They're not. They don't kind of do the the rigor that's Mm -hmm. required to, to really get the quote, big marketing job done. And so I'm not talking about promotion, but I'm talking about, you know, the research part and the strategy part and all all those sorts of things. So, so Pete, let me just ask this
1: question. I wasn't going to ask you this one, but this just came to my mind. Okay. Marketing. I mean, marketing, nobody really thought about marketing until Madison Avenue made this famous a hundred plus years ago. And when the Sears and Roebuck catalog came out, you know, 150 years ago, you know, you, you mentioned, okay, marketing people just get tired. I mean, it's an exhausting job has marketing really changed in the last 50 years
4: oh my goodness it's, it's, it's the, the last five years that yeah. just completely turned over um, and it's it's not just the promotional side I mean that you know if you get your MBA in marketing you don't go work in an ad agency and mm-hmm. that kind of twists people's heads they go what well what do you you know those are people that come out of the school of advertising and communication the people that have marketing degrees they you know they're 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 building strategy. How is a business going to be relevant to a given market segment? How is it going to shift? How's it going to be competitive? How's it going to do its pricing? How's it going to go to market? What routes to market? What partnerships? You know, all that stuff. And then there's the promotional stuff that needs to be led. All
1: right. I, on your website, I noticed you have a ton, an absolute ton of chief, of outsiders. You know, your chief marketing officers that you yeah. outsource to all over the country. I mean, you had a ton of people. I loved it. And people can actually read their bios, see their pictures. I mean, that was really cool. Talk to me about how your faith impacts how you interact with all of those people. Cause that's a lot of people to, to be balancing. How does your faith in Jesus impact how you deal with your outside
4: consultants? Well, it, 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 it starts with, you know, what you want your company to be and represent. Um, so just in terms of our, our original values. So we hire on values. We actually have people, they go through six interviews over a period of about six weeks, uh, and then they, they write an essay on our core values. We're, we're hiring people that we want to work with and that we believe uh, companies will want to work with. So it's it's rooted in humility uh, and curiosity and not having all the answers and not being the smartest person in the room because we've all hired those consultants because you know, every time they come in, they'll, they, we know they're the smartest people in the room because those kind of consultants will always tell you. So <laughs> that is so true those aren't the people that we want. You know, we want, we want people that want to give and want to learn. And it's interesting to see some people go through the transition because, you know, not all, not all of our people, uh, are people of faith, uh, but they sure enjoy being in an environment where that's the, you know, that's the, you know, that's the Kool-Aid. So if, cool. you,
1: if you're doing six interviews with people, where does prayer come into the play as you guys are trying to decide, is this somebody we're going to bring on or not? How, how does prayer fit into that process?
4: You know, not as, not as well as it probably should. I'm, I'm more dependent upon the spirit than I am. And, uh, you know, rigorously uh, literally getting on my knees on a, on a given candidate. Uh, but I do, I do, and, and others do uh, that are believers will, would say they're more spirit-led.
1: Okay. So,
4: uh, that, that's a but isn't, point, aren't we so.
1: spirit-led in our prayer time? I mean, that's really, I mean, that, that's what I meant. I mean, are, how are you hearing the voice of God when you're looking at hiring these people? That's really what I was looking for.
4: Yeah, well, I, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I, I pray during the day and I pray in all sorts of instances. And like many, I pray in crisis, perhaps, best of, best of all. But, you know, f- for me, I, I just want to set the day up with, and know that I'm attached. You know, I'm a sailor. And, and, and I don't know if you ever heard the term, but when a, when a sail is working well in the wind, it's called it's attached to the wind. That's right. And when, and when there's turbulence, there, there it isn't. You know, if every day doesn't start with, frankly surrender and uh just laying it all out um and so my, my quiet time which would frankly my time in c12 and, and the leadership there has just uh, uh encouraged me to develop that discipline uh and now it's not a discipline now it's a it's a jump out of bed get to do it every morning and mm-hmm. you know katie bar the door kind of thing but anyway mm-hmm. i that, that that's where i yeah i want i i don't i want i want to have the spirit present so i'm making right decisions all, all day long without having to Right, you know, shut my computer down and go in the closet and pray. Not, not that that isn't a powerful and, and appropriate thing sometimes. But
1: well, oh, I think you know, I think Jesus when he was walking through the crowds was constantly interacting with his heavenly Father. He didn't have to go into the closet to pray.
2: You know, this is the one of the fun things about having these conversations on the air is that for our listeners, they're getting. Um, just a new way of looking at things. And I love your analogy with um, sailing because there's probably a lot of people listening that can relate to that and then go, oh, that makes sense. I can do that in my own life. And for those that even, I don't sail, but I can make sense out of what you said and that just gives me a new picture. So I really appreciate that. And I think that the listeners will too, Jim.
1: How long, Pete, have you been involved in C12? Six and a half years. All right, so would you say that that is a good investment for your company.
4: Uh, I think it's a good investment. I think it's a great investment for my company. I think it's an outstanding investment for, uh, for life. Um, It's just, it, you know, (laughs) just to let you know, and this might be a little over dramatic. I got a five year little trophy that they hand you and say, Hey, you've been with us five years. I put it on the kitchen uh, Island and, 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 And he says, what's that? I said, that is $50,000. She says, what? So it is a serious investment. And and yet it comes back uh, so multiplied, uh, you know, frankly, both financially, but just in terms of quality of life and home and everything. Mm. Fantastic.
1: I love that. Love that. We've done a lot of C12 shows. C12group.com, C12group.com. If you want to have the same experience and get your five-year trophy, but look at it as an investment in your company that pays back a thousandfold, c12group.com. We've heard that story, Pete Hayes, across the nation. From sea to shining sea, we've heard that story.
2: So, Pete, you just mentioned about your home, and um, that's a great time for us to ask you because one of the things we always like to drill down, especially with business people, is how do you keep your home from or your business from interfering with your your marriage and your family? And um, I'm guessing that you've probably had some great Help in that area from your time at C12, but how are you keeping your home, your marriage, your family a priority?
4: Uh, it's an experience of a miracle, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the miracle is that is that uh, the miracle I experience is God bends time. Mm. So I don't have time for an hour of quiet time, but when I do it, everything's fine. I don't have time to take out and spend a day at C12 every month, but when I do it, the business runs better. Um, I, I actually don't – I am not spending too much time at the office. It's almost embarrassing. I mean, I'm working like crazy, but I um, – and people talk about balance,
0: mm-hmm. it,
4: and it isn't balance. It's priorities. You know, the Bible says nothing about balance. It's all about what needs to be done, and when you do the things that need to get done, everything else that needs to get done is going to get done.
1: Hmm. Talk to me about, you mentioned in the first segment, your, your core values, your, your decision filters for the, for your company, chief outsiders, what are those core
4: values? Well, my favorite one is without suffering character lies dormant. Wow. So, so so not just one word you've
1: actually got, you got a sentence there.
4: All seven of our values are sentences. Yeah. And so uh, that one, the reason I like that and the reason it it's not the kind of thing you would come up in an interview. Can you imagine you're interviewing an executive from a Fortune 500 <laughs> and you say, tell me about, tell me about how your characters develop from suffering? I mean, it just wouldn't come up. But when you put these questions out to somebody and say, you know, we'd like for you to comment on these and, and, and share some life experiences, it gives the candidate a chance. to. First of all, they say, wow, these people are really interested in me being transparent. And it gives them a chance to share stories that would never come up across the table. And, would, you, uh,
1: would you be willing to share your core values
4: just read them off for us? You know what? I probably can't get them all. <laughs>
2: Believe it or <laughs> That's not. That's why I said oh. this is his favorite this one. a lot of words. Well, um, yes.
1: okay. Well, they're Thanks your core reasons, values. But- You're supposed to like have them flying off your
4: tongue. <laughs> I know, but since they're not just like flippy words, yes. uh, you know, one another one that I like is uh, uh, look in the mirror, look out the window. And the idea is taking accountability for, um, for actions and teams that you lead. Mm, that's um, a great our, first, our, our first one is the CEO is the number one marketer in, in, a, in a company, which is hard when you're a CMO. You say, well, I'm the head of marketing. For Well, no, the CEO is always the head of marketing and you're you're to crystallize that vision and get things implemented. That's right. He's um, the face. Yeah. He or she's so, the face.
1: All right. So, so talk about, uh, you know, when you look at the culture that you've created at chief outsiders there in Austin, Texas, Pete Hayes, how has your faith, how, how has it infiltrated the culture? You, you said you're one of the principals are both. Are, are you, how many principals are there within the organization?
4: There's two, my partner and I. All right. Are you both he, Christ followers? He started the company. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So how has your faith infiltrated the organization by developing your culture?
4: Well, my, you know, it, I don't know if it's an acid test, but there just better be the aroma of Christ coming off of the business. Um, so, uh, the way we treat each other. And I hate to just make it that simple. Uh, but, you know, there, there's never any foul language. There's never even any anger. I mean, we deal with stuff. but We, we, we get through issues. We, you know, we, we process things. Uh, but the uh, I think the, the greatest experience is really, I mean, the believers are kind of really digging it. There's the underculture culture of maybe 40% of our folks are very passionate believers, but then there's folks that, that aren't. Uh, but then they'll say, that's why I love this company. They'll see the company do something that's just, just wonderful. Uh, and, uh, and they'll be all over it. Um, so.
1: So what are the things that you're doing? Are they, you know, community wide things or things that you're doing for your actual staff or for yeah. your customers? What, what, what are you doing?
4: Well, the, we're, we're launching a new program next week, which might be an interesting example. We, we <laughs> realized that, you know, I, I mentioned this 50 year old thing, you know, most, most of our people are, are, are 50 and older. We have a few folks in their 40s, but these the only reason they fit in our firm is because they have decades of experience right. you know, leading the executive marketing role. So we, we had this aha of, you know, many of us are dealing with aging parents. Right. And, and we realized that we could, the whole company, it's kind of funny, the whole company can be a support group to each other. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going we're gonna to ratchet that, that up and, and basically make it programmatic. Uh, and so people can raise their hands. Yes, I just put my my folks into a home or I just I'm dealing with this or I'm having to get through the, you know, processing some, you know, uh, Medicaid, Medicare stuff or whatever, whatever those challenges are. Um, so we're packaging that up literally next week and uh, to launch it. And we're really excited about it.
1: That's great. Hey, if we can make a suggestion, we had an author on earlier this year. She wrote a phenomenal book because our parents we're in our 50s. Our parents are yeah. getting older. They're not. Well, they're in their 80s. Uh, As My Parents Age by Cynthia Rookty. As My yeah. Parents Thank Age by Cynthia Rookty. Are you
2: familiar with that? Thank you. I've heard
1: of it. You've yes. got to read this book. It is phenomenal. And you can what go back
2: great. and listen to the podcast and hear from the author yeah. herself. So um, right. that's one of the fun things about doing the show.
1: All right. So here's here's our last question for you. So, you know, you've, you, you've got a partner in this business and you've got lots of people who work for you. How are you making sure that if you get hit by a truck tomorrow and you don't make it back to work ever, that your faith, what you've set up as a faith-based culture there at Chief Outsiders, which, by the way, people can find that online, chiefoutsiders.com, if you want an outside, a chief marketing officer. How are you making sure that's going to perpetuate if you're gone?
4: You know, we need to do a better job of that. And, in fact, we're we're having those discussions. We don't expect Mm -hmm. And of course, we're we're not doing We we do have something called the bus program, but that has more to do with insurance if somebody gets hit by a bus. But in terms of in terms of succession, uh, which is you know five to eight plus years out to turn you know in terms of the company turning over, we're working on that, and we're having those hard conversations because because it starts with you know what you would expect, which would be a you know a private equity exit. Boom. Um, uh, or, or some other sort of, you know, st- strategic acquisition or mm-hmm.
1: something. But it, it starts um, with money. I'm, but it ends. We got to we got to keep the faith well, in there.
4: Well, that's what's so cool. I mean, C12 is r- r- ramping up a, a, a program just beginning to where they're collecting a set of private equity companies that that uh, will sign up to protect the uh, the culture.
1: I love that. Uh, when that happens, you got to let me know so we can bring you back. Pete Hayes with Chief Outsiders from Austin, good. Texas. If you need an outsourced Chief Marketing Officer, Pete's the guy to go to. ChiefOutsiders.com. Pete Hayes, thanks for being on iWork for him today.
4: Great. Love your program. Thank you.
1: We just finished up with Pete Hayes from the Chief Outsiders. All of this arranged by our good friend, Tony Dale, from Sedara Health and the Karis Group. You really want to check him out online. Sidera.com. Sedera.com. Tony Dale, welcome back to iWork for him.
3: Jim and Martha, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you again.
1: So just talk to us. We want to make sure our listeners really understand those that run organizations, those who have influence over health care decisions for their organization. Talk to everybody about how sedera health will revolutionize the way their company deals with providing healthcare for their employees.
3: You know, Jim, you're always so gracious in the way you uh, <laughs> open up a subject like that. And, uh, I, I was brought up in an environment where uh, you don't blow your own trumpet. <laughs> Maybe that's an English phrase. I'm not sure. but uh, Toot your so, own so horn I, is the I, way we say it here in the States. But this is okay, the same toot thing. Toot your own horn. That, yeah. that works. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, you make it so easy for me to try and be honest, which is to say, God gave uh, us the incredible opportunity. Uh, when we came over here to ourselves, be a part of uh, one of the Christian healthcare sharing organizations, uh, and through that to learn uh, really the power of this medical cost sharing approach, uh, and it does—it's transformational for companies when they really begin to understand this isn't this is a, a cheap Christian alternative for you know for your cousin who who's in ministry and can't afford the real thing. No, this is an amazing approach to handling medical costs uh, that actually, I believe, does a far better job for people uh, within a context that really takes care of them and their employees and the medical costs of everybody involved uh, in a context that honors and glorifies the Lord as well. And it does it at a fraction of the cost Mm -hmm. of health insurance.
1: Now, you launched Sedera Health in 2010, right? Do I have that right? In my head? Uh,
3: no, no. I began the R&D, the Research and Development for Sidera Health, in 2010 because of the Affordable Care Act. We didn't actually launch it until 2014.
1: Okay. All right. So I had that sort of right. I knew that there was a 2010 in there somewhere. And you keep saying the Affordable Care Act. Again, he's very gracious. We all know that it was really renamed just recently in Congress the Unaffordable Care Act. <laughs> Sorry. But that was a political statement. Just, But here's the deal, though. I would have thought a couple of years ago that this would be unnecessary. That Sedera Health wouldn't be necessary because Congress was going to fix the health care problem, but it's not getting fixed. And so today, more than ever, Sedera Health is the solution for organizations countrywide who want to look at a different way to provide health care for their employees. Do it at more reasonable, reasonable pricing, but provide the kind of care people need without providing the things that go directly against what we believe as Christ followers. Amen.
2: <laughs> Tony, you're so, I love it. You are, you are gracious through and through. So the last thing you didn't say, Jim, was Sidera.com.
1: Look at that. See, Tony, I got her trained in us, uh, <laughs> But you've also got this other company that you've had for a lot longer called The Caris Group. How does that fit into this whole healthcare conversation?
3: Well, The Keris Group is actually where it all began. Uh, I mentioned just a moment ago that I've been a part of the, uh, one of the Christian healthcare sharing ministries. Uh, And this was back in 1996. Uh, So we're looking at 20 plus years ago. Uh, And uh, I injured my knee, Uh, had medical bills, was so shocked by the size of the bills. And you would think, oh, well, you're a physician, Tony, you know what goes on. Uh, No, actually, I didn't. I I was a British physician who had practiced in the UK and was over here teaching and working with physicians in a very different context. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what went on. And into that, when I had my own knee injury, needed minor surgery, it was unbelievably expensive. I just felt we cannot pass all of this cost on to my Christian brothers and sisters. I'm going to challenge the costs, And, you know... Everybody folded when I challenged the cost. I was able to get a fair price for the Christian ministry. Uh, and out of that came the whole idea for the Caris Group, uh, which has become a very well-known medical cost containment entity, working both with Christian ministries, with insurance companies, with associations, uh, groups all over the country. Right,
1: when you say everybody folded, and I would, we would, just, I would just say caved. They just caved after you put a little pressure on them. We caved under pressure. What does that mean? I mean, like, what was your total bill for the, for the knee, re, for the, your knee surgery? And what did you end up pay, having uh, this other healthcare sharing ministry pay for you?
3: Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you because I did such a bad job. I didn't know what I was doing in those days. Uh, but uh, the cost of the surgery was uh, just under $15,000. That was in 1996. So in today's terms, that would be more like thirty five dollars to $40,000 for a minor procedure, uh, uh, when I phoned up and challenged all the bills, uh, with barely a murmur, I was able to get every place the hospital, the lab, the MRIs, the anaesthetist, the surgeon uh, I was able to get everybody down to 50% of what they had charged wow. me.
1: Wow. But you find uh, today but, through the CARES group, you can even better than that, don't you?
3: Yes. I, I would now be embarrassed to say that that's all I did because when I look at what I was charged, uh, if I told you that someone getting that done uh, by Medicare, uh, you know, which is the, the government-sponsored program for people over 65, uh, the cost of that surgery in today's terms would probably only be in the region of seven or $8,000. Mm. Uh, so, you know, even the 50% off, the truth is uh, I and the Christian group I was a part of, uh, we, we were kind of ripped off. Uh, You know, I didn't used to put it in quite such bold language, but the more you're involved in this area, the more you come to see that the complete absence of pricing transparency has corrupted the system.
2: Wow. I love the fact that um, when you made a statement and you said, Tony, I couldn't stand the thought of passing that that cost on to all the people that were sharing. And I think that it's such a different mindset. You know, when we have... um, traditional insurance, we think, well, that's what I pay my premiums for. And, you know, you just it just goes in. Um, But to realize that we can be better stewards of the money um, on both ends, both in the sharing that we do and in also making sure that the bills that are submitted have been negotiated to the best level possible because that's the industry. I mean, we can't do that at the grocery store because that's not the way that industry is. But we certainly—we've never can. tried. Although we do shop around. I mean, actually, we, better we do. Shop you know, we go to certain stores because their produce is less expensive. So actually, we do that in the little things. But we, this has caused people to be so much more thoughtful about um, their medical. Expenses, And so that's what then the CARES group can help people with, because it's a daunting task, right?
3: It, it is a daunting task. And I, and I think what you've shared is, is incredibly important. And it was part of the reason that, you know, when the Affordable Care Act came in and uh, provided an exemption for the Christian groups, Uh, But I found myself saying, why should people operate just under an exemption? You know, it's wonderful this is available to Christians, but we want to take a biblical pattern, Mm -hmm. i.e. sharing, uh, and show the world that God's type of approach works in every situation. Uh, and that really was the outgrowth of Sidira. And, and teaching that personal responsibility is an important part of how the overall health care costs are kept down for everybody, both within the Christian sharing communities and within uh, the sort of corporate structures that we work with in Sidira.
1: Tony, you and your and I love what you're doing. And, and you know that it is my goal to get you connected to the president. I'd like to see you get to cabinet position but, you know, because this is this is a solution that could literally change the tide in our country. I mean, if, if we could just get our country to recognize the incredible savings. I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars could be saved in this kind of a model. So I, I'm not going to vote for you for president. No, you can't be president because you, you're not. You know, you weren't born here, but you could be in the cabinet. <laughs> And that's my goal. That's my goal. All right. So uh, you well, go ahead. Go ahead.
3: No, I was just going to say, we better not get into the conversation of whether or not you have to be born here.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, Tony, um, you just did. I cannot believe. Okay. We're backing away from that. Stepping off. No, no we're definitely box. backing Too away dangerous.
3: from that. <laughs> I right love, I love the fact that uh, as an Englishman, I'm allowed to be an outsider. Uh, and it, it's part of what gave me the opportunity to look at what was going on here to say there are better ways i completely agree with you
1: all right now you just had the privilege of spending some time away with your bride on vacation which is so good that's something that we talk with we challenge business owners you heard me challenge pete hayes earlier hey what are you doing to protect your priorities your god-given priorities your your heavenly father your wife your children you are investing in your marriage to felicity how many years have you and felicity been married now
3: You know, we got married in September of uh, 1971, so we're just coming up to our 47th wedding
1: anniversary. Well, that's fantastic. What have you seen God do recently in your marriage that just shows that he's still working on the two of you 47 years later?
3: Wow, how do you answer a question like that? We, we are honestly? unbelievably blessed. <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, that, that's an important, uh, important comment. We are so blessed because we're surrounded by loving family, loving friends. Uh, here, you know, at the, uh, where I work w- within Karis and Sidira, uh, if I had to put my finger on what recently has perhaps been the greatest blessing, It's watching how clearly the Lord finds ways to speak to Felicity and I to give us wisdom we need in the business context and the mission context that we find ourselves involved in. It's awesome.
1: So give us some specifics, though, because, you know, a lot of people are going, but I don't really know how to make my marriage stronger. What are some of the things that you and Felicity do? I mean, you're a business owner. You've got two businesses Felicity is heavily involved in a small church movement. She's also involved in lots of other things. You guys are involved traveling all over the world. What are you guys doing specifically to keep your marriage strong? Because I know you're still working on it 47 years later, because it doesn't come any easier. I well, mean, it does come a little easier at 47 years, but you're still, it's its not perfect yet. You're still working on it.
3: It's not perfect yet. Uh, and absolutely every marriage has to be worked on. And I, I think Uh, probably the the, the sort of greatest strength that we've discovered over the years uh, is in our commitment to find time to pray together. Uh, I I think, you know, the vast majority of Christian couples, they pray, you know, they have their quiet times or whatever it may be. Uh, But Felicity and I just determined, I mean, I guess going way back to the early days of our marriage— But we were going to take time whenever possible, literally praying together. And we do that. Uh, And that's huge. It keeps us honest with each other and honest with the Lord.
1: Tony, let's talk about your ministry that you get to do all over the world. When we talked a little bit in between shows this month, you have gone, you were, was it Taiwan you are in or Thailand?
3: Uh, We were in Taiwan for uh, most of the month of May.
1: So talk to us about that. What was that all about? And why? I mean, and you're traveling all the time. Talk to us about what that—that's your mission work. That's the stuff that you do with your volunteer time. What is that all about?
3: Uh, well, uh, really, it's about encouraging uh, the growth of house church movements around the world. Uh, many Christians here in the West don't uh, don't don't understand, I guess, uh, that worldwide. Uh, there are probably more uh, active believers in simple, organic, or what many people call house church movements, uh, than there are in probably any other type of Christianity. Now, that doesn't make it any better. Uh, it's just important that we, we don't ignore uh, something that actually traces its roots very clearly to the, the New Testament sort of uh, patterns that emerged Uh, In those days, uh, perhaps because of the the persecution, Uh, but many of us wonder if actually in God's economy, uh, house churches, you know, small groups of believers, two or three gathered together in Jesus' name with Jesus in the midst, uh, weren't closer to God's intention of what church should look like. And Mm -hmm. so for us, it's been a huge privilege to work with these movements around the world. So what's that look like? Well, in in Taiwan, what it looked like, uh, and and this just fascinates me so much, Um, one of the pastors of the largest megachurch movement in Taiwan has for many years been uh, opening the doors for us to come over and speak not just into their churches, but to uh, any churches that are interested and open uh, to learn about the power of the small group and of small group movements around the world. Uh, And so in Taiwan, we found ourselves in uh, four different locations, four of the main cities, uh, doing conferences that were open to uh, church leaders uh, of any and every type of denominational background, uh, but all coming to learn more uh, about what do house church movements look like and are there a way to take some of the principles uh, of house church movements and incorporate them uh, into more traditional church life.
2: Mm. So as you got a ch- an opportunity to talk in these different settings, um, what's that receptivity like? I mean, are they just eating it up because they've, they kind of see the need for it? Or what do you, what do you find?
3: Well, that, that does vary from place to place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, specifically on this most recent trip to Taiwan, this was our fourth uh, trip of this type uh, in the last 16 years. Uh, and so this has been a slow sort of building line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, but Taiwan was more open than we've ever seen it. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with, you know, other countries of the world and what, you know, mission movements look like. Uh, but Taiwan is a is essentially a Western nation right there in the heart of uh, Southeast Asia. It, it's a prosperous uh basically money-driven, capitalistic, uh, democratic type society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, into that context where Christians have a lot of freedom, uh, they also very very quickly, somewhat inevitably, rather like in the West, uh, you know, when there are no pressures to say that you can't be a Christian, uh, then it tends to settle into Christianity, not not being as vibrant as really it could be. Uh, and I think there's been a growing awareness in Taiwan that, you know, in spite of uh, intense missionary activity over the last 50 years, uh, that the population, you know, Christian population grew relatively quickly to four, five, maybe six percent. And it's been stuck there for most of the last 40 years or so. Uh, and so surely God has more in mind than that. And it takes Christians getting desperate where they really begin to pray, really begin to seek God. Uh, and what we found was there was a growing body of those types of people who are getting desperate and saying, Lord, the status quo isn't good enough.
1: Mm. Wow. How often, Tony, when you're having conversations with these church leaders, do you get into the conversation of making sure that they are helping they're, that they're equipping those people in their churches. That they're helping those people in their churches understand the connection between their faith and their work, and the significance of their calling to the marketplace. Do you get to have those kind of conversations with with pastors over there in Taiwan?
3: Uh, well, absolutely. We get uh, into those conversations during these conferences because these conferences we get together for two to three days, uh, and uh, and we have people there for sort of ten hours a day. Uh, And it's not just what I call talking heads, uh, especially since, you know, it's primarily Felicity and I at a conference like this. Uh, We don't want them just listening. Uh, So if you took a typical hour, uh, we might uh, speak for 20 minutes, uh, 30 minutes, and then we'd probably take 45 minutes in small groups, actually teaching everybody to practice what we preach, uh, to literally put into action uh, the things we're talking about, to explore them together, to dig into the scriptures together. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time uh, on the principles of the priesthood of all believers, that everybody's taking part, that uh, evangelism isn't just listening to an evangelist, it's all of us have been called to the Great Commission. And, uh, and then we get them involved in practical activities to help drive these uh, concepts home.
1: How often do you find correlations between the society that Taiwan has developed or the culture that Taiwan has developed and and our culture here in the United States? If you're talking five or six people, Christ followers and five or six percent of the people in Taiwan, Christ followers here in the United States, really six percent are true born again believers who understand and believe the Bible, who God is, who Jesus is. Uh, what salvation is. I mean, it's a very small percentage of Christ followers here in the United States that are actually living, breathing what it means to be a a Jesus follower. How often do you, what is God teaching you when you're over in Taiwan that you want to bring back here to the States?
3: Well, I, I think the lessons uh, are very similar. I mean, let me give you one example. Uh, one of the things that really persuaded us that uh, there's a greater openness now than we've found in our previous visits you know, over the last 15, 20 years uh, is that there is a growing movement among business people uh, and business people taking a real lead in the church world, i.e. saying, Churches, we're not just going to sit around and wait. You're, you're not reaching the company, country for Jesus, uh, and probably not reaching the company either. Uh, and so we're, gonna, we're just going to step up to the plate, and we're, we're going we're gonna to swing to the fences. Uh, and, you know, to us, that was exciting to see the impact, uh, particularly of, of one relatively recent business convert, Uh, who is just challenging the church across the nation to really seek God's face. So exciting things going on uh, and often uh, tied up with business people.
2: Mm. So Tony, let's bring it back to, um, I'm curious, what do you see now? This is what you've, we've been talking about your experience when you guys have gone over to Taiwan and talked with people that have invited you in to, to share the value of the home church what are you seeing happen happening here in America are there's is there a um, a new interest or in people in the small environment in the home church environment what are you seeing there
3: Martha that that's a question I'd, I'd love us to go into deeper and I, I let me just hint at a couple of things because uh, as you know back in the early sort of 2000s Listy and I were very involved starting house to house mm-hmm. and uh, there was tremendous growth across house churches. Uh, and then, you know, it, it, it seemed to quiet down. At least it, it went back underground. And there's still a lot going on underground, not literally underground here in the States, but mm-hmm. in the sense that it's not in the public view mm-hmm. for most Christians. Well, recently we've been finding a growing number of church leaders. Uh, I'm talking people leading significant churches, you know, whether it's here in Austin or elsewhere. Coming to us and saying, you know what you were saying ten or fifteen years ago, we weren't ready to listen then. But we're we're really beginning to think that that's the only thing that will change this nation.
1: Wow! Uh, How about next time on our next show, let's pick up this conversation and hear how pastors said we're ready to listen now. I love that talking about the value of small churches the, and really to highlight your book small is big we got to give away some copies of that book today 866-713-9675 small is big unleashing the power of intentionally small churches thanks tony dale for being on eye work for him today you're welcome we'll be right well, well no we're not gonna be right back we're, we're, we're done for the day. Man, that went fast. I can't <laughs> believe it. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to iWork for him today. You've been listening to iWork for him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace is our mission field, and we're out of time, but ultimately, iWork I work for, for Him. him.